in a prior podcast, I talked about cognitive biases. And I think I only mentioned about three or four that we can utilize in marketing. But I want to delve deeper into cognitive biases and just discuss the ways that it affects us um, and how it certainly prevents us from being fully rational and why it is not a limitation. It's just the way that humans need to think. Uh, It certainly gives us a lot of benefits in many, many, many important ways of uh, ensuring that we survive. And in other ways, uh, it helps us to make poor decisions. However, in most cases, it can certainly help us. Um, But let's delve into it and get more out of it. Okay, so think about the brain. It's capable of 1,016 processes per second, which makes it far more powerful than any computer currently in existence. Now, uh, that doesn't mean our brain doesn't have major limitations. The calculator can do math thousands of times better than we can. And our memories are often less than useless. Plus, we're subject to cognitive biases. And cognitive biases are those patterns, those way of thinking, those annoying glitches in our thinking that cause us to make questionable decisions and reach erroneous conclusions. So here, let's go into a dozen of the most common and pernicious cognitive biases that you or I engage on a day-to-day basis. Uh, From the media we consume, everything that we consume from TV, radio, utilizes some sort of bias to get their point across. But before we, before we start, it's important to distinguish between cognitive bias and logical fallacies. A logical fallacy is an error in the logic in a logical argumentation. So, for instance, um, an ad hominem attack, a slippery slope. Circular arguments appeal to force. This you'll find in politics a lot. Uh, A cognitive bias, on the other hand, is a genuine deficiency or limitation in our thinking, a flaw in judgment that really arises from errors of memory, social attribution, and miscalculations. Now, some psychologists believe our cognitive biases help us process information more efficiently, and that's certainly the case, especially in dangerous situations. For instance, if you're facing a tiger, you don't want to wait to receive 100% of the information before you make the decision that maybe you should run or try to get away, because receiving 100% of the information would be the tiger's claw on your chest. So we certainly don't want to wait for all that information to come to us before we make that decision. Although still, cognitive biases, they can lead us to make grave uh, mistakes. We may be prone to such errors in judgment, but at least we can be aware of them. So let's go into 12 of them here. The first one is confirmation bias. We love to agree with people who agree with us. It's why we only visit websites that express our 
political opinions and why we mostly hang around people who hold our similar view and tastes. We tend to be put off by individuals, groups, and news sources that make us feel uncomfortable or insecure about our views. What the behavioral psychologist B.F. Skinner called cognitive dissonance, it's this preferential mode of behavior that leads to the confirmation bias, the often unconscious act of referencing only those perspectives that fuel our pre-existing views, while at the same time ignoring or dismissing opinions, no matter how valid, that threaten our worldview. And paradoxically, the internet has made this tendency even worse. The second one I want to look into is the in-group bias. The in-group bias, somewhat similar to the confirmation bias, is this bias. It's a manifestation of our innate tribalistic tendencies. And strangely, much of this effect may have to do with oxytocin, the so-called love molecule. This neurotransmitter, while helping us to forge tighter bonds with people in our in-group, performs the exact opposite function for those on the outside. So it makes us suspicious, fearful, and even disdainful of others. Ultimately, the in-group bias causes us to overestimate the abilities and value of our immediate group at the expense of people we don't really know. Thirdly is the gambler's fallacy. It's called a fallacy, but it's um, more a glitch in our thinking. We tend to put tremendous amount of weight on previous events, believing that they'll somehow influence future outcomes. Now, for instance, the, the classic Uh, I guess example, the classic example is coin tossing. After flipping heads, say, five times, our inclination is to predict an increase in the likelihood that the next coin toss will be tails, that the odds must certainly be in the favor of heads. But in reality, the odds are still 50-50, the outcomes in different tosses are statistically independent and the probability of any outcome is still 50%. Relatedly, there's also the positive expectation bias, which is it, it, it so often fuels gambling addictions. It's the sense that our luck has to eventually change and that good fortune is on the way. It also contributes to the hot hand misconception. You know, when you're thinking that you're just on fire, you can't lose. Similarly, it's the same feeling we get when we start a new relationship that leads us to believe it will be better than the last one. On another note, it certainly helps life to move on. If we were to constantly think in a way in which any future adventure does not lead to a better perspective, we'll probably stay stuck in where we are with a negative outlook. So it certainly is a fallacy, but limitation, not so much. Just really depends on how it's utilized and our understanding of it. Next one is something that 
when you buy something, it's certainly a feeling that you'll engage. It's the post-purchase rationalization. Now, remember that time you bought something totally unnecessary, faulty, or overly expensive. And then you rationalize the purchase to such an extent that you convinced yourself it was a great idea all along. That's an example of a post-purchase rationalization in action, a kind of built-in mechanism that makes us feel better after we make crappy decisions, especially at the cash register. Also known as the buyer's Stockholm Syndrome, it's a way of subconsciously justifying our purchases, especially expensive ones. Social psychologists say it stems from But social psychologists say that it stems from the principle of commitment, our psychological desire to stay consistent and avoid a state of cognitive dissonance. Let's look at the next one here, neglecting probability. Now, very few as a very few of very few of us have a problem getting into a car and going for a drive, but many of us experience great trepidation about stepping inside an airplane and flying thirty five thousand feet. Flying quite obviously is wholly unnatural and uh, seemingly hazardous an activity. yet virtually all of us know and acknowledge the fact that the the probability of dying in an auto accident is significantly greater than getting killed in a plane crash. But our brains won't release us from this crystal clear logic. It certainly will not. It's the same phenomenon that makes us worry about getting killed in an act of terrorism as opposed to something far more probable like falling down the stairs or accidental poisoning. Our inability to properly grasp a proper sense of peril and risk, which often leads us to overstate our risks of relatively harmless activities while forcing us to overrate more dangerous ones. The observational selection bias. This one is something that we certainly engage many, many times. This is that fact this is the effect of suddenly noticing things we didn't notice that much before. But we wrongly assume that the frequency has increased. A perfect example is what happens when we buy a new car and we inexplicably start to see the same car virtually everywhere. I remember when I had bought a, an FJ Cruiser. This is uh, the Toyota FJ Cruiser. Um, and uh, it was a relatively rare car. Um, and um, after I'd bought it, yeah, I mean, I really wouldn't say that, I won't put myself in the category to say that it was, that, that I was perhaps experiencing some sort of bias, but I really did start to see the car more. And I really believe it's because I began to notice it more because I owned it. Um, and I saw it everywhere. I saw it uh, on the road. I saw it at the store. I saw it driving around. And I began to think to myself, well, maybe this car isn't, isn't so rare. But 
Perhaps it was observational selection bias. Perhaps it was. Who knows? At any rate, a similar effect happens to pregnant women who suddenly notice a lot of other pregnant women around them. Now, personally, I think that this is simply the fact that we haven't experienced a situation. We can then identify with people who are also in the same situation. But perhaps it is a bias. Now, it could be a unique number. Uh, it could be a song also. So, for instance, you hear a song and you begin to hear it everywhere. It certainly does happen. It's not that these things are appearing more frequently. It's that we've, for one reason or another, selected the item in our mind and in turn are noticing it more often. Trouble is, most people don't recognize this as a selection bias. I certainly did not and actually believe these items or events are happening with increased frequency, which can be very disconcerting a feeling. It's also a cognitive bias that contributes to the feeling that the appearance of certain things or events couldn't possibly be a coincidence, even though it is. The status quo bias, let's look at that. Now, we tend to be apprehensive of change, we often, which often leads us to make choices that guarantee that things remain the same or change as little as possible. Needless to say, this has ramifications in everything from politics to economics. We like to stick to our routines, our political parties, and our favorite meals at restaurants. Part of the perniciousness of this bias is the unwarranted assumption that another choice will be inferior or make things worse. The status quo bias can be summed up with the saying, if it's not broken, don't fix it. An adage that fuels our conservative tendencies. And in fact, some commentators say this is why the U.S. hasn't been able to enact universal health care, despite the fact that most individuals support the idea of reform. Let's look at another one, the negativity bias. People tend to pay more attention to bad news, and it's not just because we're morbid. Social scientists theorize that it's on account of our selective attention and that, given the choice, we perceive negative news as being more important or profound. My mind just fell again, so let's that. We also tend to give more credibility to bad news, perhaps because we're suspicious or bored, depends, of proclamations to the contrary. Maybe we want to hear bad news. Today, we run the risk of dwelling on negativity at the expense of genuinely good news. And perhaps we need to adjust that. Let's look at the bandwagon effect. Though we're often unconscious of it, we love to go with the flow, the flow of the crowd. We love to just be moved. When the masses start to pick a winner or a favorite, that's when our individualized brains start to shut down and enter into a kind of groupthink or hive mind mentality. But it doesn't have to be a large crowd or the whims of an entire nation. It usually includes small groups like a family 
or even a small group of office co-workers. The bandwagon effect is often what causes behavior, social norms, and memes to propagate among groups of individuals, regardless of the evidence or motives and support. This is why opinion polls are often maligned as they can steer the perspective of individuals accordingly. Much of this bias has to do with our built-in desire to fit in and conform. Okay, now let's look at the projection bias, and this happens a lot. As individuals trapped inside our own minds 24-7, it's often difficult for us to project outside the bounds of our own consciousness and preferences. We tend to assume that most people think just like us though there may be no justification for it at all. This cognitive shortcoming often leads to a related effect known as the false consensus bias, where we tend to believe that people not only think like us, but that they also agree with us. It's a bias where we overestimate how typical and normal we are and assume that a consensus exists on matters when there may be none. Moreover, it can also create the effect where members of a radical or fringe group assume that more people on the outside agree with them than is the case, or the exaggerated confidence one has when predicting the winner of an election or sports match. We've got two more and we're done. The next one here is the current moment bias. Wish people have a really, really hard time imagining ourselves in the future and altering our behavior. Now, most of us would rather experience pleasure in the current moment while leaving the pain for later. This is a bias that is of particular concern to a lot of different disciplines like economists. And indeed, it's like when making food choices for the coming week, a large number of people will choose fruit. But when the food choice was the current day, more people will choose chocolate. Lastly, let's look at the anchoring effect, which is used a lot in marketing, also known as the relativity trap. This is the tendency we have to compare and contrast only a limited set of items it's called the anchoring effect because we tend to fixate on a value or a number that in turn gets compared to everything else. The classic example is an item at the store that's on sale. We tend to see and value the difference in prices, but not the overall price itself. This is why some restaurant menus feature very expensive food entries while also including more apparently reasonably priced ones. It's also why when given a choice, we tend to pick the middle option, not too expensive and not too cheap. Now, we've just gone over 12 cognitive biases, but there are a lot more. And these are being utilized every day in marketing and advertisements. It's why some of us are in heavy debt 
because we want to fit in. And so we want, we want to buy things to fit in. And we are basically being controlled and moved a certain way, even though we shouldn't. Noam Chomsky talks about manufactured consent. And it's an important book to look into. And actually, I think he has a YouTube video about it. But uh, cognitive bias can be used in any number of ways to move us to do one thing or another. And it's basically just the way that we move along in the world. It's the way that we think. It's the glitch that um, can make us uh, choose one thing over the other, even though it may not be the best option. At any rate, it's important to know these things and be aware of them. And uh, particularly as it relates to marketing, uh, utilize them to positive effect.